Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 3rd of December 2023, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking on, John the Baptist prepares for the coming of Jesus. Well, it is all too easy to allow the passage of time to allow us to forget people that we shouldn't. So here is a picture of someone coming up now who is really important in the history of this church, important also in the history of the Church of England, and actually important to the church throughout the world, but someone who is largely forgotten today. Who is he? Well, his name was Brian Green, and he came to this church at the age of 23 in 1924 to be curate. And the most significant thing that he did at Christchurch was to start a Bible class for teenagers called King's Own, which then ran for 50 years. He started it in 1924. It continued after he left. It grew and grew, and it eventually finished in 1974. Now, why was it significant? Well, it was for both boys and girls to study the Bible together, which was unheard of at the time. But more significantly, it attracted huge numbers. And it changed the lives of literally thousands of young people, some of whom are still here today. So put up your hand if you were part of King's Own, and it made a dramatic difference to your life. You've got Steve Tyler, you've got Andrew Rankin, and you've got Joe Henson. And it was Brian Green who started all of that. That was here at Christchurch, but Brian Green then went on to be vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton in London, a famous church, and then later an even more significant ministry at St. Martin's in the Bullring in Birmingham. He had very significant ministries in both of those churches, but even more significantly in a way that was further afield. Because for three months each year, Brian Green led international missions throughout the world in a way that no one had really done before. And it started with a big mission to New York in 1948 when lots of people became Christians and a young Billy Graham referred to Brian Green as the world's leading evangelist. Now, Billy Graham, of course, went on to become a lot more famous but in the 1950s and 1960s, it became common to refer to Brian Green as the British Billy Graham, with thousands of lives changed through his ministry. So he is someone of immense significance that we need to remember rather than forget. And if that applies to Brian Green, it applies even more to the figure we're going to focus on this morning. It applies even more to John the Baptist. There is Michael York playing John the Baptist in Jesus of Nazareth. John the Baptist came, as many already know, to prepare the way for Jesus. But what does that mean? What is it that made the ministry of John the Baptist important? And why, during this season of Advent, as we prepare for the coming of Jesus, why should we remember, rather than forget, the figure of John? Well, the answer in a nutshell, is because John the Baptist came to remind people of why Jesus was needed. More specifically, John came to be the bridge between everything that God had done before in the Old Testament and what God was now going to do in Jesus. 
And it's by paying proper attention to John the Baptist that we can really get, more than we otherwise would, things about Jesus that we need to understand. Because Luke's Gospel is unusual amongst the four Gospels in that it doesn't mention Jesus until 30 verses into the story. And we only hear about Jesus' birth after 80 verses in Luke that make up its very long first chapter. And why is that? Well, it's because Luke wants us to understand the coming of Jesus in the light of the significance of John the Baptist. So right at the start of that story that we had read to us uh, a little while ago from Vashti, we hear about three people. First of all, we hear about this person. We hear about Herod, the king of Judea. And then we hear about the people who went on to become John's parents. We hear about Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. And this introduction to the story, and particularly the details that it includes, immediately sums up the problem that we have at the end of the Old Testament. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're upright and they're devout in their desire to serve God. We're told they observe all of his commandments and regulations blamelessly. But despite that, despite their being godly Israelites about, Herod is on the throne. Herod is a false king, not only because he wasn't from the Davidic line from which Israel's kings were meant to come, but because he was a wicked tyrant. And symbolizing the plight of God's people, Zechariah and Elizabeth can't have children, meaning that like Israel itself, they appear to have no future whatsoever. Now, as I say, this sums up the plight of Israel and therefore God's purposes at the end of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a story in search of an ending. There are good and obedient people in Israel doing their best to obey God. There are plenty who aren't, I hasten to add. But there are some being loyal to God, but evil and hardship still appear to be in charge. And hopes for anything changing on either a national level or a personal level seem very remote indeed. And that's how it can often feel for us as well isn't it? We look at the world at the start of Advent 2023, and despite there being some good and godly people around, evil does seem to be well and truly in charge. So that terrible war in the Ukraine continues with all of its wider effects on the world, and more recently, of course, we've had the start of that simply horrendous conflict in Israel and Palestine made worse by the fact it's the very place where God once promised that he would be especially present. But in our personal lives as well, there can be equal amounts of tragedy, can't there? There can be people dear to us struggling with terminal illnesses or with terrible problems. There can be areas of conflict or difficulty, perhaps in our work lives, perhaps in our personal lives, that simply won't resolve. There could be dreams that we once had of really good things happening that we were hugely invested in, which now seem completely impossible. The Old Testament ends with all of this. And when the story of John the Baptist begins at the start of the New Testament, 
all of those problems are still very much present. But that situation then starts to change, doesn't it? And that change begins with the appearance of an angel. Now, despite what some people think, we don't get angels appearing all the time throughout the Bible. We get them at key moments. We get angels appearing at moments where a vital new stage in God's plan for the world is revealed. And that's because when angels appear, a bit more of the life of heaven is coming to earth. And that happens when an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, as it turns out, appears to Zechariah while he's performing his duties as a priest in the temple. And this angel, Gabriel, comes to tell Zechariah that Elizabeth, his wife, who was assumed to be barren, not able to have children, would bear him a son. Now, if that immediately sounds a rather familiar storyline, that's because it is. It's following on from similar stories in the Old Testament. There are a number of them, but the most famous one is Abraham and Sarah, where a couple advanced in years are promised, and after a long wait, eventually receive a son. As I say, it's not the only example of this happening. It happens with Isaac and Rebekah, with Rachel and Jacob. It happens with the parents of Samson, and it happens with Hannah, who's Samuel's mother. But as I say, we don't see it happening all the time, like the appearance of angels within the Old Testament. We see it at key moments, when God is taking forth his covenant plan for rescuing the world, when he's taking it forward in some dramatically new way. Why is that? Well, it's because God's plan is all about new creation. God's plan for saving the world is all about bringing life where none was present before. Now, that's ultimately demonstrated in the most stupendous way by this event that we celebrate at Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. That is the ultimate demonstration of God being able to bring life where there was none before. But before that happens, ahead of the resurrection, it's flagged up in other ways. It's flagged up by Jesus' virgin birth, which we celebrate at Christmas time. And before that, it's flagged up in events in the Bible where people who couldn't have children finally, and after years of waiting, received them. But the way that the conception of John the Baptist shows a further move forward in this story, an extra dimension, is the reference to Zechariah that says this. The angel says these words. The angel says that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. This is something new. You see, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is present, usually called the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of Yahweh, but he's temporary. The Spirit of God in the Old Testament comes on particular people for a particular task for a particular time, and when that task is complete, the Spirit of the Lord then departs. But now it was going to be different. See, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament has said that one day God would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. And John the Baptist, being filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, was showing that this time was not far off. This time when God would pour out his Spirit in a dramatically new way. So not only was new life coming into the world with Jesus, but a quality of life that would finally bring the reality of heaven 
to earth. And that's what the coming of Jesus is all about. We'll be singing lots of carols this Christmas time, and one of those carols will undoubtedly be O Little Town of Bethlehem. And in that carol, there's a particular line that says this. It says, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee or you tonight. What that's saying is that all that tension that I was talking about earlier between our experience of the world as it is and the world as we hope it will be, that tension is met in the coming into this world of Jesus. All of that heartbreak, all of those things that we desperately hope were different on both an international stage and a personal one, all of those things receive their answer in Jesus. Not because change to any of them will be instant, but because God in Jesus is bringing his light into the darkness to make things possible that weren't before. You see, the reason why more people come to church around Christmas time, and the reason why we ourselves as regular churchgoers give it particular priority isn't just nostalgia. It's because the message of Christmas brings hope. Retelling and rehearing the story of Jesus coming into the world is what brings us that hope. An attention to the story of John, which Luke regards as so important that he gives real priority to it before he introduces the birth of Jesus, attention to the story of John gives us clarity about what that hope is and what it comes to address. But the announcement of John's birth also reminds us of two things that are needed to receive this hope. One is repentance, and the other is faith. It's because John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth that the angel says this about him as well. The angel Zechariah says that John is never to drink wine or any fermented drink. Why is that? Other parts of the Bible talk about alcohol being a good gift from God as long as we use it wisely and so on. So why is this teetotalism for John uh, present? What point is it making? Well, if John is going to be filled with God's spirit from birth, if he is going to embody the fully human experience that God is going to bring through Jesus, then the things that often act as a rather poor substitute that quality of life needed to give way so that he would demonstrate it fully. And that's what alcohol, of course, can so often be. It can be something that is very tempting for us to withdraw into to get a temporary buzz, a, 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 a quality of life that, that isn't the real thing, that isn't genuine. It masquerades. You know, in every part of life, Jesus comes to bring us the reality to which other things often form the parody. And getting a temporary buzz from uh, abusing alcohol or just using it to excess in whatever way is no substitute for the real thing. The real thing is a quality of life that comes from being filled with God's spirit. And that's what John was going to demonstrate. So John was sort of embodying an act of repentance in his very person. But when John was older, rather like the prophet Elijah, he'd actually preach repentance as well. 
and this is what was predicted about him. He would exhort the people to turn away from selfishness. That's what it means, to turn the hearts of the parents towards their children. In that verse from Malachi that it's quoting, it talked about turning the hearts of the children towards their parents as well, didn't it? Basically about turning from selfishness, about a real commitment to one another, and also turning from disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous. And why was all of that needed? To make ready a people prepared for the return of the Lord. To get people in a place of repentance, turning their lives around so that what Jesus had to offer could be received. We tend to think of Lent, the period before Easter, as a time to reflect and a time to repent, don't we, quite rightly? Lent is important in that regard. But Advent can have that role as well. And particularly if we know that there are things that we're trying to get meaning out of that won't bear the weight of this, or particularly if we know that there is a pattern of selfishness that's present in our life, then Advent is a really good time as we reflect on the coming of Christmas to think about this and to think about what needs to change or start to change in our lives, what we really need to perhaps make a bit more of a concentrated effort to, to really turn around so that we can be, when Christmas comes, re receiving God's gift of Jesus with both hands. One of the things that John the Baptist makes clearest is that the best possible preparation to receive God's gift of grace in Jesus is repentance. A genuine desire on our part to turn around from those elements in our life that are destructive, both to us and to others. There could be numerous things. It might be anger. It might be uh, impatience. It might be a cynicism that's crept in. There are all sorts of things that it might be. An Advent is a time for being inspired by John the Baptist to turn from those things so that we really are receiving God's grace in Jesus with both hands. And to be open to this, to be open to repentance and the coming of Jesus, we need faith. Throughout the Christmas stories, the angels that appear, and of course the angel appears to Zechariah, later on the angel Gabriel also appears to Mary, uh, another angel appears to the shepherds, and the angels always say a certain line first. I don't know whether we pick it up always, but these angels always say first before they say anything else. They say, do not be afraid. And that's because fear is very often the major factor getting in the way of us stepping into the new life that God is holding out to us in Jesus. Fear is so often the thing that we have to get beyond. You see, it's so much easier and more comfortable to stick with what we know, isn't it? Even if we know what we're experiencing at the moment is bringing a diminished life experience, even if we know that life isn't as good as it should be, very often it's more comfortable to stick with what we know. Better the devil you know is that expression, rather questionable expression that is used. But actually that's quite often what's happening. 
You see, we've already been told that Zechariah is upright in the sight of God, observing God's law blamelessly. It's a really positive commendation that Zechariah gets. But faced with this new thing that God was doing, Zechariah's faith failed him, didn't it? He may have been holy and upright in a sort of world surrounded by sin, but suddenly being given the opportunity to be part of something really exciting that God was doing, where God was finally going to act to uh, change this situation, his faith fails him. He doesn't believe that what's being said can possibly happen. And that's why Zechariah is struck dumb until it happens. Now that can look like an act of petulance by Gabriel, or God, can't it? Because Zechariah hasn't got his act together. Actually, it's not those things. It's an opportunity for Zechariah to listen rather than speak for the next nine months. It's an opportunity for Zechariah to build up his faith and to ponder this fresh act of salvation that God was initiating through the coming of his son John and more ultimately through the one whom John will prepare Israel to receive and again, during this slightly shorter period of Advent, because we haven't got nine months, how long it takes for a baby to grow in the womb, Advent is slightly shorter. But it's a time, if we can possibly make it this, to be a bit more silent and to listen out to God as well. Now that can seem an extraordinary thing to suggest at this time of year. Advent is ridiculously busy, isn't it? The run-up to Christmas is perhaps the busiest time that ever happens within this country in large parts of the world. And if truth be told, it probably does more to undermine the meaning of Christmas than anything else. But it is possible. It is possible to carve out moments during Advent when, for whatever reason, silence is present and we hear the message again of God calling us. God calling us to make ready for the coming of Jesus and everything that he represents. Another carol that we'll undoubtedly be singing this Christmas time is Silent Night. And I think that carol is probably trying to capture the need for us to be quiet so that we can hear and we can see Jesus being revealed amongst us. And the thing is that it's sometimes through unlikely voices. Sometimes through very unlikely voices that we actually hear God summoning us to make ready for Jesus. You see, first century Palestine was very much a man's world. And although Elizabeth has been mentioned, and we're told that she, like her husband, was upright in following God's commandments and so on, it's Zechariah who had the priestly role in the temple, and it's to Zechariah that the angel Gabriel appeared. But once Zechariah was struck dumb, and once Elizabeth becomes pregnant, it was she who then proclaimed the truth of what God was doing. We hear Elizabeth's voice, don't we? And she says these words. She said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace amongst the people. Now, God was doing more than simply bringing help to Elizabeth, but he wasn't doing less than that. And those words in these days, in the second line there, show Elizabeth's awareness that a new era 
had broken into the world. A new reality had come into the world at that time, making things possible that weren't before. And ending with this reference to Elizabeth's role in the story takes us back to where we started, paying attention to those that we might forget. Elizabeth is someone who's a very significant figure right at the start of Luke's Gospel, can be rather marginalised, but she proclaims this very prophetic message at this point. And we need to be willing in Advent to listen afresh to God's call, expressed in John, expressed in the words of Gabriel and Elizabeth, expressed perhaps in unlikely voices. One of the things that can happen at Christmas time is when people go and see nativity plays and they see children performing the Christmas story and they can be remarkably moving. These little children can witness to the wonder of God's love coming into the world in a way that's quite arresting for those who are present. God can speak through unlikely people or people that we might think it's unlikely that God speaks through. So the challenge at the start of Advent for us is to, as I say, listen afresh to God's call. It's expressed in the coming of John the Baptist, expressed in the words of Gabriel and Elizabeth, words of this new life that God wants to bring to all of us this Christmas time through the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, we do commit ourselves at this start of Advent to listening afresh to you. Would you be preparing us for the coming of Jesus? Would you be leading us to repentance, particularly of those things that need to change in our lives? And would you help us to address our fears and our tendency to stick to what we know, however unsatisfactory that is, would you make us open through faith in you to the new thing that you're doing through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.